Welcome back to Major Convos. I'm your co-host, Corey Bowles, and with me every episode is my co-host, Matthew Tenkate. Hello. <laughs> a, uh, another episode. We are pretty excited about this one. We've um, got a couple of special guests. Um, we're going to be talking to Jody Armand from Coastwide Training Services. Welcome, Jody. Hello. And we've also got our very own Catherine in the building. Welcome. Catherine's our training manager. Um, so today's conversation, we're, we are going to be talking a bit more, probably for listeners, um, a bit more about the RTO sector specifically. In our first episode, we covered off, Matt and I talked a bit about what an RTO is and some of the challenges uh, and, and good bits of being an RTO. Today, we thought we, we might get into a little bit more around some of the compliance stuff, resources, um, some of the policy and quality stuff. Jody is an expert in that field. Um, by every definition of the word. So we're excited to have her. We're going to talk a lot about, I guess, experiences and some of the things that we've, you know, we've gone through over the times as an RTO, the challenges, the good, the bad, the ugly. And, and Jody as a bit of a, I guess, rescue services, I would say, a little bit at times for RTOs. Um, usually I assume, Jody, you get There's a, a phone catchphrase. call. There's a new catchphrase. Sorry? There's the new catchphrase. There's a new catchphrase for the business card. Jody <laughs> Armin, Coastwide Training Services Rescue. Emergency services. Emergency services. Often, I would assume you get calls on the back of um, RTOs having challenges um, and usually reactively needing guidance and assistance. Um, yeah. How, how did you get into this space, Jody? What's What's your background, and how did you land here with Coastwide? Oh, I've I've been in the RTO compliance space for over fifteen years now, and you know about. In 2007, when I went and got my my TAA at the time, I actually realised that I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up, and that was <laughs> something to do with RTOs. And as I worked in a number of different sized RTOs, I realised that I was really good at and I really enjoyed working in the background and working with the forms and the paperwork and the documentation and reading the rules. And Jesus. Everyone wow. thought I was a little crazy. But looking at each other like, that is not us. <laughs> that is so true. That's Kat yeah. too, isn't it, Kat? You... 100%. In the shadows. Nothing, honestly, there's nothing better than census night with a good HP and a piece of paper. It's my favourite day of the year. Wow. You guys yeah. are the, un you're the unsung heroes though, behind the curtain, right? Very That's true. right. And most RTOs, look at compliance as being a real hindrance and it really can be it can be really complicated it's a very complex place to be to be working and making a career out of that's for sure and a lot of rtos don't necessarily prioritize compliance in the same way i do i guess um, but i'm biased um you know rtos are in the business of providing educational services and in return for for money and generally compliance has a tendency to get in the way of that. So, you know, that's sort of where I started working in this space and working with RTOs to sort of bring about a more of a collaboration space with compliance and incorporating that and implementing systems and strategies within the business so that the business can still advance whilst also maintaining that level of compliance that we've all come to understand in this particular vet space is really really important yeah. so that's kind of where i where i live and a lot of the rtos that i work with um you know i've, I've been 
running my own business in this space for around four years now. So a lot of the RTOs that I work with are small and large and government and community and there's there's a whole range of different needs yep. that I fulfil in their businesses. So it's pretty exciting. It's pretty varied. It varied. That's a good standard <laughs> for RTO land. But I, the, I mean, I said it earlier to you, I think you're a bit of the... Um, the oddity in the in the compliance world, you know, not in a loving all, way. In a loving way, <laughs> you've worked with our business for four or five years, I think, um, mm. and you know, we came we crossed paths in a moment when we needed you know some advice to work with Asker and uh, and well, I think we'll talk about their change over the years, but and you were helpful in that, but you also were a bit more pro pragmatic in in how we approached it, and my I've always been of the view that you've got to be proactive with it's not a you know they're not the they may be called the police of the rto sector mm -hmm. but you've got to engage with them appropriately That's and, right. um, Absolutely. try and work together and a little bit yeah they're not you know they're not necessarily in the business of shutting rtos down they want to make sure that rtos are doing the right thing and a lot of rtos don't know what they don't know and generally it takes inviting someone who has experience or skills or expertise into that space to help them um, navigate around some of the strict regulations that we need to follow the standards that we need to interpret and then and then talk about how we implement some of those within the business in a workable way you know compliance is can be challenging but it's not meant to be overly difficult that it cannot cannot be implemented and I think Sometimes we just need to have those discussions or look at different ideas on how we can meet the requirement while also being efficient and productive. Yeah, it's a critical part of running an RTO. But the, it's both critical. You got to, you won't have a business if you don't make it a business because it's ultimately a business. But it's compliance and quality uh, go hand in hand with having it. That's just it's like putting fuel in a machine if you're running machines. You've got to um, you've got to deal with compliance and quality in an RTO land or not. But you know, my point is around your engagement with Athka is a critical punch. You need support people in organisations. Our organisations needs your support and um, we manage compliance with your help with internal people, uh, with Catherine obviously keeping it. Um, and that's it's where you guys you know, are the unsung heroes, I think, that, that make the difference. But our engagement with Asqua and how we deal with that, I think, is really important. And you've been helpful in, in navigating that with us over the years. Um, I think Asker have changed their approach over the years, which has been refreshing. And, yeah, they have. Um, mm. You know, I'd, I'd, my belief is I don't think RTOs are really out there. The majority, you know, there might be some out there that are, you know, deliberately trying to do the wrong thing, but I think the vast majority are, have created an organisation where they are trying to do the right thing. And, you know, they may not be perfect. I say it all the time. We're not perfect. Sure. I, I don't reckon you've ever come across a perfect RTO, have you? You said you were perfect yeah. before. That was only like 10 minutes. Yeah, but that's me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just wanted to clarify. No, I've never, to Corey, never anyway. seen a perfect RTO. There's some, there's, you know, there's been RTOs that have been often close and, you know, when you reach certain benchmarks, you always try to be better and bigger and stronger than, than you know, what you were, which is all about continuous improvement, right? Finding, finding those areas that, your business is not necessarily performing really well at and trying to enhance those areas um and and you know rtos of different sizes and different scopes have different complexities that you know sort of weigh into it 
you know, RTOs with large scopes are going to be a lot more complex and compliance-based than relatively small RTOs with a very limited or, you know, low-risk kind of services that they offer. So, you know, it all varies and everyone's issues are generally always different in some way, shape or form. Just like, you know, when you do engage with ASQA and you work with them through some audits or some compliance regulation obligations, the auditor that you get is always different. And the the help that you get from ASQA is different to do other representatives because of the way they interpret things differently. And it's just like compliance consultants and it's just like RTOs. Interpretation. That's mm. a tricky one. I was yep. going to say, uh, we were obviously talking about the balance there. Matt was talking about business and the balance of being compliant. And, and then you've got the quality aspect, which I, I think is interesting. I heard recently, and it's a good way to frame it, that the compliance is non-negotiable on being compliant. It's black and white, yes or no, are you compliant? But the quality part is there's layers and levels that go way beyond that when you think about quality. Um, but with, with our business and, and Kat bringing you into this is, and on the back of what Jody said, the complexity when you think about the size of our business. Uh, and I'm sure people listening that are in this sector are um, going to love this part of our podcast. But the changes that have happened in the last couple of years with transitions, you know, there's so oh, much. I can't believe you said that so, word out loud. So much, yeah, it, it hurts. It hurts <laughs> to say it. In face, Jode, so it's still happening. But that's it's, just. It's, it's so. It's so challenging, so it, difficult. It hasn't gone away yet, unfortunately. But there's so many. I have a suggestion. I think the government should pay us every time they do a transition. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> there's so many. There's so many things. I guess what I was touching on there is that there's so many things to consider. You said the complexity is of compliance, right? But there's just like it's really broad. The amount yeah. of different things you face, and and trend, you know, transitions are just one element. Um, there's so many other things, and and cat. You know, we have this conversation just recently about trying to actually do the job that we set out to do day to day in terms of educating people and their training. You know, you've got your compliance within that and then you've got all these other distractions that are completely outside of that. Yeah, absolutely. I remember before we were going off on Christmas, Matt and I were having a conversation just as we received an email to let us know that one of the qualifications we just finished transitioning one of our largest apprentice cohorts just was updated again. So the team went off on holidays thinking we're done with, you know, the MEM transition. No, we will welcome, welcoming them back with that's going to happen again. And and you, you bring up a really good point, Kat, because sometimes I think, you know, the, the bodies that are responsible for upgrading these qualifications obviously have intent to improve their own um, products, right? So they improve the units of competency and they streamline them or they make them a little bit easier to understand or apply. But sometimes it feels like they don't quite understand the implications some of those things can have on RTOs operating in those industry sectors. You know, when we look at transitions and we look at staff competencies, delivery strategies, assessment methods, resources and tools, record keeping, it's scope management, like it, it's just insane. And that's why many large RTOs will have a team of compliance people who just look after that and just make it happen. I'm Some RTOs hire a consultant to look after that and just make it happen. And then there are smaller RTOs who might be on limited financials or they might not have capacity to manage those or they might just 
don't know how, so they don't. And it's some of those sort of minority RTOs who don't action it or don't realise who are, um, for want of a better term, uneducated on some of these compliance aspects, that they struggle to be able to reach that benchmark, the minimum compliance standard, the minimum compliance requirement. If they can't meet meet the minimum benchmark, they're never going to actually achieve that quality that you were talking about before, Corey. You know, quality is something that is above compliance. That takes more effort and more money and more engagement and more collaboration. And and some of those, some of the RTOs out there struggle to meet quality level. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially when they're juggling funding contracts as well. Mm. So, you know, again, interpretation comes into it a lot that people read contracts interpreted a certain way trying to juggle that as well as just you know the base that they need to with the compliance can be a huge task for people that's right you know and then you get you know god forbid that the compliance manager of the rto leaves oh that's (laughs) do you know though like just speaking on that and this is it'd be interesting if we have some compliance managers listening to this but my experience is that the challenge there and and from my perspective as you know running an rto is that you have a change in personnel and then the next person comes in and wants to do things completely different and then you've got a whole upheaval of change within the organization centered around you your compliance and their interpretations and right or wrong there everyone's got a different view and a different way of doing that and that's that's a whole other you know whole other thing i guess that we could talk about but i wonder if industry has other people that are in that space do you guys jody like do you feel that do you see that that you deal with different people at these organizations that come to you for third party advice or you know lean on you for help are you seeing that although it's pretty black and white about being compliant you've just got so many variables and different people with different views yeah, look, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I'm really conscious of when I begin working with an RTO is I don't necessarily want to come in and reinvent the wheel yeah. because I'm sure that many people in my position have already done the same thing. And the advice that I give you is really only based on my interpretation of of the standards and my experience on how to apply them. And A compliance person, whether it be an internal manager or an external consultant, really needs to work closely with the management team about what the overall objectives of the RTO is, what you're trying to achieve and what your vision is, because that obviously helps the compliance person um, identify the main areas of concern and attempt to rectify those on a risk basis rather than coming in and just reinventing everything and redesigning the way the compliance should work because of for you know, whatever whatever yeah. reason. I mean, training and assessment strategy is a real big one for that. Um, every RTO has a training and assessment strategy. Now, whether that be one sort of strategized document or a whole range of different ideas on how to deliver certain courses, but every RTO is different and they do all document their strategies in a different way. And part of the, I guess, challenge for me is, is coming into an RTO and working with people is identifying how they've done things, why they do them the way that they do, and whether there are some better improvement options that I can provide to help sort of streamline systems and make make operations more compliant. But what I'm finding is a lot of RTOs do it this way 
because they've always done it this way, which sort of brings on some of the points that you touched on with Cassandra a couple of weeks ago about managing apprentices in a certain way because that's just the way that it has always been done and that's how apprentices were were managed or, you know, relationships evolved with apprentices who now are um, team leaders or foremen or whatever the case is. RTOs have systems in place because that's what they've always had and no one's ever necessarily shown them a better, more productive or more efficient way. Um, that's a key when, thing. Sorry. No, no, you're right. Go I was ahead. just going to say that's a key thing though, what you just said there, because the cost, and you mentioned this earlier, the cost of change in mm. RTO is really difficult. And so you are right. Like often it gets left a little bit and probably too long in the tooth at times. Um, but that's partly because of what you, the last word you said then was how to do it more efficiently. Mm. Like that's the part that, you know, Matt and I get frustrated about because we, we spend countless hours and dollars trying to continually work on this stuff, which is fine. It's part of it, but how we can improve collaborating with the likes of yourself and other RTOs to try and shortcut some of these things so that it isn't so labor intensive or costly. cost efficient, you know, like, yeah, cause that's, we're all doing the same thing, right? Like it's national standards. We we're all in the same boat and yet I feel like for the most part we're in our silos doing our own thing. Yeah. Well, you know, the new, the new standards are supposed to be released later this year. And, you know, having had a look at the draft standards, it seems that there is less black and white with these standards. And it's a really contentious issue in the sector at the moment is people are saying we don't need Tazas anymore. And some people say, well, you do. It's just a different take on what you've come to know as what a Taz is, you know. And, and as a really good example, most RTOs operating know that a TAS or a training and assessment strategy is a documented process on how you're going to deliver a certain product to a certain cohort of people. Yeah. We've all come to know that that is one document made up of a whole range of different parts. And the new standards have sort of abolished the need to have that one documented strategy you still need a strategy on how you're going to do something, how you're going to deliver a certain product, but now there's a little bit more flexibility on how we go about doing that, which allows RTOs now to implement different systems and processes to make it more cost-effective, make it more efficient, make it more user-friendly, mm-hmm. so that some of these documentation that we know we have to have and, you know, most of us know no one ever uses, we can have them in place and we can have them effectively used in our business by those key people. So it is pretty exciting to know that there are changes coming yeah. and that, you know, RTOs can implement these these standards or these compliance benchmarks at a level that meets their business, um, which is, you know, RTOs are of all shapes and sizes. So we can implement those in different ways across different operations, which is great. Definitely. What about just like, you know, there's a fair bit of experience on, on this call, but like, dealing with ASCRA and how that's changed, you know, cause I, you just mentioned the change coming there, yeah. but I also just think about ASCRA and the interactions that myself personally, that I've had with them from having the desktop sit down, you know, felt, you know, excuse my language, felt a little bit like a shakedown. Yeah. And, and then, you know, more recently, you know, during our process two years ago now, uh, 18 months ago, 
which was really focused around continuous improvement, focused on, you know, I feel like a key word that was used throughout our process was intent. You know, they could see that our intent was to do the right thing. Were we perfect to, to Matt's words? No, nobody is. But our intent was always in the right place. We were always trying to do the right thing. and But they worked with us and talked through it and we explained things and we had conversation. You know, it wasn't black and white. It wasn't just sit down, here's the information, off you go. There was dialogue and, you know, there was opportunities for us to improve, which we did. Um, how have you seen that change? You, you guys and, and everyone here, I guess I ask, you know, your different different exposure to those things and, and where it's heading. Oh, look, it's it, exactly, Corey. I mean, you know, having worked with different um, ASCO representatives over the last few years um, and having worked with ASCO contractors, right? So ASCO also contracts compliance representatives and consultants to operate on their behalf. So working with a whole range of different ASCO representatives has evolved over time and it's become a really enjoyable experience. I know that that probably sounds sounds strange, um, <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're, they're quite friendly and they explain things really well. Um, yeah. A lot of the times as the RTO's consultant, ASCO won't necessarily direct conversation to me, so I will be there to support the RTO's the representatives yeah. and ASCO ask where people now take the time to explain some of the standards or the non-compliances that are found and we'll work with the RTO to try to come up with solutions on, on how to fix it. Now those, you know, they don't often give solutions on how things or, you know, non-compliances should be rectified, but they definitely help interpret what those non-compliances are. And, and half the time that's half the battle yeah. is figuring out what, is actually being done in a non-compliant fashion. So they've become quite enjoyable to work with. And um, they also take on the continuous improvement attitude as well. So in some of my past experiences building RTOs, um, having gone through the application process and the audit process and, you know, my girl Saxon sent her an email saying, you know, I've been through this experience and I've got some feedback if you're interested in, in hearing it. And you know what? I thought I'm, I'm never going to hear from these people. Who am I to Saxon Rice? I'm nobody. Mm. But, you know, Saxon emailed me. She got me in contact with co-director. I had Zoom sessions with some of their key people talking about my experience as the consultant and and some of the things that, you know, I thought they could have done better yep. um, as well. And they were really, really susceptive to that. So they were really open to receiving some of that feedback. Um, I, which I did the same thing on the back of ours. Yeah. Sorry? On the back of our audit, I did the same thing. I reached mm. out, we gave feedback, we received obviously feedback and it was definitely a different, it's similar to like just operating as an RTI. I think about our frustration sometimes with clients is that we, we, we all want the same thing. You know, we mentioned this in one of our other episodes that we all want the same thing, working with different stakeholders. So I look at ASQA and the department and our other stakeholders as exactly the same way, that they're all clients, but we're all wanting the same thing. We want, you know, we want positive outcomes for our students. And, you know, the frustration we always have with, well, not always, but we have sometimes with clients is that we don't know what we don't know. And that's where that intent comes back. Like we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to provide a good training service and, having clients come back to us and talk through challenges or problems that we can then work on together collaboratively to improve. It's no mm. different to working with ASQA, working with the department, working with CSQ, 
or any other stakeholder that we have, right? It's about collaboration, which we've been harping on about the part of this podcast. It's the whole reason that we're here is we want to actually learn and continue to challenge things, but also collaborate with other people. Well, and, you know, ASCO want to do the same thing, you know what I mean? So when they come into an RTO and, and conduct an audit, they want to know that the RTO is, is looking and monitoring and checking themselves. It's, you know, it's easier to find the issues amongst your own business and it is, I guess, less impactful if you find your own issues or identify those non-compliances yourself then have ASCO come in and find them for you. Yeah. Because if they find them, then obviously they then question your intent to try to do the right thing. So yeah, you know, having sure. that continuous improvement attitude and, you know, the intent to try to do the right thing yeah. and understanding that you don't always know what you don't know. Yeah. Sorry, mate. I think Kat was going to say something. Um, oh, I was just adding in with that. I think throughout the journey with our last audit, we had, you know, open communication with the different ASQA representatives that we were, you know, dealing with. And I think that that was really, I suppose, beneficial for the team that was a part of the audit. Um, but it also then was a journey. We could then have conversations and make sure that everyone understood what was happening. Um, and again, it all came back that they wanted to understand the intent that we had behind something. So it was definitely, yeah, that open communication same that we have with the departments that we work with um, really does help us be compliant, but then have a quality product. It's, it's, how, it's how you treat people too. Like I was at an event a couple of weeks ago and I heard someone say they've been in the industry 35 years and, you know, everyone's got a story. And if you've been in this industry long enough, you've got plenty of stories. But if you keep harping about how it was 35 years ago, it's not the relevant story. You know, it, I, I could harp on about 15 years ago and how hard it was. It has moved on and that's good, refreshing feedback for, in terms of ASQA and how they deal with us. You know, we're not the enemy. I think in the past they were, you know, it was blame the RTO, you know, to Corey's point, clients, we don't know what we don't know. If, an, if, if a client tells us they're not happy, whether it's the student or the employer or whoever, you know, we got to respond to that feedback, you know, but we don't know it and we and our, our intent is every day to go out there and be proud of what we do and we talk about that with the trainers and how they engage with. But, you know, ASCO's shift has not been, hey, we get a story, we get a complaint or we have an issue or we have an audit and you're the, you're the enemy is my feeling that they certainly are willing to hear the other side of the story and that is a positive for the industry and yeah. people in the industry who are running RTO shouldn't be talking about the story of how bad it was or this is yeah. my experience or whatever. They should be engaging more proactively with ASQA and asking more questions and listening and hearing and saying this is good, this is bad or, you know, I think you're, you're, the way you treat them is going to be very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's going to reciprocate. <laughs> reciprocate. If yeah. you're if you're aggressive to them, they're going to be aggressive back. You know. Um, or if you try and hide something, I, I actually that's why I bring back intent, right? Like yeah. when we went through our audit, I, I remember, and Cat was present at the time. He he said to us, "Look, there's some gaps here. Then they're not major, they're minor, but I can see through this that you guys are trying to do the right thing. And we picked yeah. up stuff like you mentioned, Jody. You know, we'd found stuff ourselves." on that journey and and but we embraced the opportunity to improve it and we were pretty open about that like hey we've got a team here that hasn't been through audit for a while it, you know we'll use this as an opportunity to improve here's some stuff we've already discovered ourselves 
we don't think anything none of it impacted our delivery or ability to do the job and do it well that's the probably the most frustrating thing about it was that there were little things that you know get overlooked but our intent was always right and and they knew that and could see that um from the get-go yeah which which is that compliant i think you know probably around building value or or how people run their organizations going forward i think you've got to have a uh, a culture of i won't say compliance i don't like that word i say culture of quality you know that starts with how they are engaged with with the student when they deal with the inquiry through to how they're onboarded as a student, how the trainer engages with them and how they're offboarded as a student when they're finished. That culture of compliance is important and everyone in the business is responsible for that. How they feel about that you know, and how they, they feel that they contribute to that in the cog of their RTO, they may not feel that, um, I think, specifically, but they all have an impact along the way. And I, I, that's why I speak to with the team when I'm talking about what their impact is in the business. Um, how they have an impact with the student, why it's important for them to engage the way that they do because we don't want to deal with the problem at the end of the day. We want their feedback, good, bad or indifferent because we want to be continuously improving. We want that culture of improvement, you know, to be looking at quality, you know, the culture of continuous improvement, you know, we're not perfect. Do we need to change this? Do we need to, you know, we need to accommodate this? You know, we don't know what we don't know. So, you know, keep on looking at that and, and then move on, you know, um, Progress over perfection, I always say, is we, we want to move on and make sure that we're we're improving. I'm going to put that on his tombstone. He uses it a lot, but it's true. You mentioned, you mentioned earlier um, about being an expert, and you know that's not that's not really a word that I like to throw around very often because it alludes to the fact that as an expert, you probably can't learn anymore. Um, I don't profess to be an expert. You asked me what you know, standard 1.4 reason, I probably couldn't tell you. Oh, stop it. Yes, you, you bloody could. could. You could. What a liar. Go on. Tries to play truth. it down. <laughs> <laughs> hey? oh, blah, blah. I'm not even listening to that. <laughs> no, listen. Right. You forget we all, we've worked with you before. You're a compliance person. <laughs> you can't tell us. Come on. Come on, Kat. Back me up here. <laughs> God, <laughs> we, should we? We help implement <laughs> the standards. <laughs> We can interpret them and help you implement them, but you can't judge my expertise or my strengths based on my retention of, of standard 1.4 and it's, I don't know, something to do with training and assessment <laughs> strategies, I'm going to assume. Um, but ultimately, you know, they give us guides. They give us instruction books. They give us user guides so that we can, you know, that, that helps us to interpret those standards and then come up with ways to implement them. So as far as experts go, you know, experts and anyone who is skilled at something or has expertise in something can still improve and still get better. As we can, you know, and they, they can do that by the feedback that we provide them based on our experiences, um, compliance people, whether it be RTO managers, compliance managers, consultants, they can always get better and that will generally happen when they go through audit experiences and work with ASQA and realise some of the, the areas of non-compliance that they may or may not have missed. Um, doing internal audits and monitoring different aspects of the RTO's operations will also sort of help to, to pinpoint and focus on certain aspects so that we can then improve those um, 
And I think one of the one of the key improvement initiatives that I have seen in in my years is that a lot of trainers and assessors and other people within the business who actually deliver the services that we offer, you know, as as managers, we are very strategic and we look at forward planning and we look at the future and we look at how we want something to do. And when we look at trainers and assessors and admin staff and and you know operational roles, those are the people who carry out some of our strategies and some of our ideas. And it can definitely benefit the business as a whole if those people understand why we do something, why we have to do an enrollment a certain way, why we have to provide certain information. Yeah, for sure. Um, because if they can understand the why we do something, then yeah. they're more inclined to work with those strategies, properly. which they may not necessarily fully understand. Yeah. Mm. That's true. Kat knows that full well. You've got to actually, you know, you can't be responsible for one. Like that's even just having a compliance manager. Like traditionally that is looked upon as being the person that does it all. Mm. And I'd be interested even just hearing feedback of people that listen to this that are in that are in our space because our philosophy might be a little bit different in the sense that and Matt I'll give you credit here this is recorded so he can play this back help him sleep at night <laughs> but you know he coined this many many years ago that we want to have a compliant quality focused ecosystem within our business where everybody's responsible in some way shape or form which is what you were just referring to Jody and giving people the why and understanding of you know the importance of what they do but then you still have to have somebody that's accountable and you know holds other people accountable which is where Catherine fits into our business which is unique because she's not framed up as the compliance manager you know Kat wears many hats which is fantastic but you know my point is just that there's a lot of ways you can shake it out and, and I guess that's our way of doing it and I'd be interested to hear what other people think of that but you know we still have accountability within our management structure and Kat leads the way with this stuff but ultimately everyone is responsible for it. Yeah, I don't. To add to that, thanks for the cred. It's nice to get some for once but um, I don't get never any from it. Again. Yeah, no, it won't ever happen again. But again. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, the impo- I think what you said, Jody, too, is really important. Everyone needs to understand why they do it and it and if it is all left to one person, what happens is that one person has all the, they feel like they've got all, and you know, our business has got a lot of complexity. There's a lot of load. If I reflect on it, they're like carrying this big burden. Oh, I've got this whole compliance problem. It's all on me. And, you know, when it doesn't go right, they're going to blame me. Yeah. You know, it's not a blame thing, but they've got to be part of the solution to help the rest of the business understand. And that, you know, that's where I think RTOs who do it well. You know, it, it's not on your, you know, your daily, you know, mantra, aura, whatever you want to call it, but it, it has to fit into how we do things around here. You know, it should be it should be happening with without somebody looking over it. It just happens that way. And the way you do that is by educating people on why it's important that we do the way that we do it these ways. You know, when I, we introduce new people into the business, we, we have these conversations and I say, you know, no idea is a bad idea just because we do something a particular way don't think that that's locked in stone if you think you've seen something better or you can make a suggestion hey tell us and we'll we might give it a go but just bear in mind there are things that we do and the way we do them and why we do them they have to be done that way because of you know this world that we live in so 
um, yeah, I think I think that's important. I think that for any RTO going in this industry, you've got to you build that ecosystem of it's part of what you do. But if you want to be a successful RTO, you've got to be focusing on your business while that ecosystem is running in the background. Oh, look, for sure. And that's especially prevalent too with RTOs who operate in the funding space. You know, not only do you have the the ASQA standards or the national standards that you need to abide by and implement, but you also have state-based funding contracts that have their own myriad of clauses and oh, yeah, compliance we're going through aspects that. <laughs> you know. We, we know that full well, Jody. We, um, we're playing now in multiple states and uh, mm-hmm. it's... It's been interesting, and it's, and it's hard, it's you know. Like, do you have do you have um, state based teams that become experts in those particular states' fields, or do you have one team that just knows enough of all of those funding contracts? Some of the clients that I work with have funding contracts in every state in Australia, and they ask me to help them out with things. I'm like, well, you know, the first thing I'm going to do is research the hell out which, of it. Yeah, which state? And, <laughs> and see what I can come up with that you might not already know. Mm. And it can be really challenging to try to sort of operate in those spaces. And, and you know, Matt, you said earlier, it's really important that you still operate as a business. You're in the business of, of providing education to students and in return for, for, for funding or for money, so you don't necessarily want those compliance obligations to be weighing you down and preventing your business from growing and moving forward. So it's a really, really um, temperamental place to be working in. Yeah, but that's why I'm obsessive about being efficient and collaborative because, mm. you know, we talk about margins. We don't have infl- – if you're working in funding space, you don't have – you can't influence the price you charge. It's set. So, you know, what can you work on? Well, it's how you deliver, how do you – how do you do that efficiently? How do you do that by, you know, bringing down your other cost inputs, which are the cost of resources? And how do you do that? Well, that's about collaboration. And, you know, I can preach on collaboration and the cost of resources because it, it's just such a bugbear for me in this industry. We're all doing the same thing. You said it way earlier in this conversation about, oh, every RTO is different. Yeah, we are all different. And that's what makes it an interesting industry. But if you look at what we do, I would, I would say that 80% of what we do probably more is all of the same and the way we roll it out might be slightly different but you you know a carpenter in western australia to one in wa in south australia to to one in queensland the qual's the same you know putting a roof on i, I i'm not a chippy but i figure it's probably the same um why is the funding different why is the way it's delivered different why is the way it's paid different like it it's just got all those added complexities in there that yeah and you know, and you know you mentioned resources why is the delivery different well, why are training right. resources different? yeah the resources why are they different like they you know that maybe you you know and, and let's I, talk resources <laughs> the resources. let's talk resources oh they cost too much <laughs> jo- jody's on the other side it'd be it'd, yeah. this would be What's a good little you this would be a good take because jody you, you obviously have developed a considerable amount of resources in your time if I I'm, if I said I to you we want to we want to share those costs because it's too expensive and you're like well I get paid to develop them for every different person. <laughs> well, look, I'm of the opinion that you get what you pay for, and you could any and that goes for anything in the world. You could buy anything, and if you buy cheap, you're generally going to get what you pay for. 
if you invest more money, then you are likely to be getting a higher quality product. Now, when it comes to resources and resource development, resource developers are writing content for the same unit all across Australia. It's one unit. It's nationally recognised. It's nationally accredited. It has the same set of criteria, yet four different resource developers develop material that is all different and priced different and of different quality. And that makes it really, really difficult for RTOs to then navigate in that space and know whether whether they're purchasing a good quality product. And, you know, ASQA or, sorry, the, the national standards attempt to streamline and mandate the minimum benchmark with the standards about uh, assessment validation and assessment criteria and, and you know, the rules of evidence and all and the principles of assessment and all of those things. Yet it comes down to how someone interprets those and then applies them. And that can be different across different people. Um, yeah, but so unless, to, to, to unless a... there is some sort of collaborative, and I, and I don't know what that looks like, but, you know, one central place where all of these resources come from. That'd be ideal. There's not, not going to be any That would be the dream. <laughs> Can we just yeah. have that? Can you can Give we just... the assessments and yeah. then let us get there however we pleased? And you know what? Correct. Like it's funny because RTOs operate in a very heavy regulated industry. Mm-hmm. They are they're regulated in almost everything that they do twice over in t- at times. Yet resource developers are not and consultants <laughs> for that matter are not. Yeah. Why and don't I they... find that really, really strange that I can write content and I can sell it to you for $3,000 and then if it fails an audit, you guys are going to get the non-compliance. It's not me. Well, and you that know, happens that... all the time. Not to not us. From, but not from, but like, you know, we, every RTO, every RTO owner I've spoken to, they all have a story where they've bought resources. Oh, mm. these are these are ASQA compliant. These are being through audit. <laughs> oh, it's like the catchphrase, and then they. And it's then, like I have the best meat pie business in the country. You know, they just put number one. Yeah. No one checks that. That's, no one checks it. That's a huge claim, and you know what? ASQA don't endorse resources. They don't approve. Yeah. Resources. They don't check them and then give them a stamp of approval. So anyone who's saying these are ASQA approved materials. Is lying yeah, but that, but that. That, that's they may have passed an audit, but yeah. they are not approved. Yeah, but even so. those, even that baseline resources that that person might have wrote past audit, they don't know how much work was done by the RTO after that, though. Yeah, no, that's right. And that's the really hard space too, isn't it? Because when you're purchasing resources, you want to have the flexibility to be able to edit them yeah. and make them work for the specific context or cohort that you're dealing with. Yeah, which happens most of the time. Like, mm. Kat, we've, you know, even just recently, you think about how much resources we've purchased and developed and how much work has gone on post actually buying them. Like, mm. I often think of Jody in the back of my head when we've purchased these resources and then I go back to Corey and be like, guess what? And then I do too, Kat, when you call me and say, hey, Jody. <laughs> We need at least six hours per unit to rework these resources that they said, and you know that in the demo when we looked at them were great. Mm. Yeah. And you know, look, I've spoken at length to ask her about this particular issue, and the only thing that they suggest is go back to 
uh, the Australian Consumers Commission. You know, when you purchase a product and you don't get what you buy, what you don't you don't get what you pay for is a consumer issue, and then you have to take that up with the ACCC as opposed to ask. Well, ASCO can't do anything about it. Yeah, um, which is really really unfortunate. And you know, when they streamline units of competencies design and they streamline qualification design and they streamline standards for RTOs to operate in and, and, you know, the competencies and qualifications that are supposed to be held by leaders and those fit and proper persons and trainers and assessors. But there's, but there's there's like that conflict in terms of, you know, Corey touched on it, a resource writer wants to sell it to as many RTOs as possible because that's how much they're going to make where, and, and I want to pay less. I don't, I want to pay we're happy no, to pay for yeah, quality. I, I want to pay. I want to pay. I'll pay a high price for quality. But if that high price means that there's three RTOs working together to pay for the resource, so it, my cost bring it, my actual cost is, and theirs is, and theirs is less. So yeah. we might pay more for the resource together. You know, it might be five thousand instead of three thousand, but our net cost is actually less than three thousand each That's because right. we've shared. So that. you all win. Your yeah, RTOs we all win. We, we all win, and that gets remunerated for their. Yeah, so they get they get paid. They, they get just it. can't sell it as often. That's yeah. But. Well, that's right. But the, but you know, I you know they they what they're making they the, and that's that is the real crux in the industry, which is a challenge. You know, they they might see that as oh, we're selling this at, you know, I could get nine thousand for these resources. You know, but I get an email I almost every day from a, a resource writer saying sixty five percent off. Uh, no, it's now it's the end of uh, the day where the moon. Came yep. down yesterday red, and it changed. Moon. It was a red moon, and now it's off. now we've decided it's seventy eight percent off. The, and I'm if, like, well, if resources <laughs> developers can afford to give such heavy discounts, why not just reduce the price? That's it. That's right? a, or it's funny. I haven't seen a coastwide discount <laughs> at any point. Oh, we're What's, the is on the moon now. not shine different over there or something? Like, Re- resource development hey. is not our core business. No, Corey, that's we true. That's true. Products at a. Uh, Oh, I'm well aware. You mentioned. I noticed that at the very start. I noticed that at the very start you threw that in there. Like, you get what you pay for. Like that's Jody's mantra. Every time I'm trying to negotiate with her, she's like, "Well, you know, you get what you pay for." But my, but like we might. So we don't want to sound like we. That's the thing. We're not being tight. We just want to say like it is. As an RTO, we have to be sensitive on cost because we have a restriction on the amount we can charge in a lot of areas. Yeah, that. Cost piece is something that we can control. If we do it together, if I had three RTOs that said to me, "Hey, we'll we'll spend the money with you to or five or ten or I don't care, but yeah. whatever, we've got this new package. Let's do this, you know, like and and we can do it together." That takes some ego from everyone to say, "Yeah, okay, might we might have to do some fine tuning." But if we get ninety percent of the thing, you know, at, at a fraction at of a cost. fraction of the cost because there's ten of us in the room. I mean, mm. that's that's better for industry. That's better for everyone. And I. You know, I keep on saying it and I keep on talking out there when I'm out in industry because I want to meet more people who are willing to do that with us because yeah. it doesn't, you know, our market is not, uh, you know, and I say it all the time, I never meet a student who says, oh, geez, the resources were killer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. You know, they will often say the material that I was given was rubbish, but, yeah. you know, if you had good quality materials at a lower cost and you had a number of RTOs all wanting to purchase that same item. But you want the materials to be good. We want them, but even the student is not saying in their feedback form 
that wasn't the highest piece of their feedback in, in my experience. That it's always other elements. It was how they were in, dealt with when they their process going through the RTO. How was the trainer? <clears throat> I think your point, just getting even if it was ninety percent there, and then RTOs can contextualize or yeah. or change how they would like because some people just like to do that anyway. They like to add their. Fluff. They want to rebrand it. Don't That's they? right. They, they want to rebrand it. They want to add their their piece to it. That's all good and well, but getting even to Matt's point, ninety percent of the way there with sharing the cost to reduce that because we you know we do need to find those efficiencies and we talked about it earlier with efficiencies around our quality and compliance and it's no different when you bring in the resources piece um you've got to you've got to figure that out so we're we're definitely putting that out there i'll uh, just put it on there one more time matt what was that you want to collaborate right. around resources yes yes just so anyone reaching done just anyone listening <laughs> takes that part in Oh, look, I think it's a really good idea. Everyone's purchasing and delivering the same units anyway, so we might as well streamline and, you know, sort of baseline the materials on something that's high quality that everyone can be utilising, which effectively results in students getting a high quality service, don't they? They get a high quality education because the materials and tools we provide our trainers and assessors are either easier to use or they're more, you know, they allow for more of a blended delivery. So there is at times less of a face-to-face for theory if it works for the student and we can then focus on the competencies and the practical nature of what we do. Yep. Um, so, you know, resources are a big part of that. We need some sort of central hub where things can be shared, where resources can be purchased at a lower cost. I like your thinking. Maybe that can be you. <laughs> you could be the library. No, um, that's a good place to leave it. I think we've covered off a lot today. We could easily have another couple episodes where we hone in on some detail of certain sectors of this because there is a lot to unpack. But just wanted to say thank you f- to you both for jumping on and, and sharing with us today. Um, I definitely took away a few things just from talking it out and I hope people listening were able to uh, take something out of it as well. But thank you for joining. Thanks yeah, for the thanks recognition. For Thanks for the thanks for the recognition. Matt's gonna he'll sleep well tonight playing that back in his brain that I gave him some props. Um, but anyway, thanks Jody. Thanks, thanks Jody. Kat. We'll get you thanks, guys Kat. again. Um, that's the end of our episode. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram at Major Convos. Uh, subscribe. You can get us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the rest of them. Give us some feedback if you heard anything you'd like to hear more of. Let us know. Um, we'll catch you on the next episode.